music, news, entertainment. It's all right here. This is The Kelly Alexander Show. Hey, it's Kelly, and this week we are very excited to welcome a wonderful vocalist to the show who has worked alongside some incredible talent like Janet Jackson, Christina Aguilera, Brandy, and the legendary Diana Ross and Patti LaBelle. Jill Zaday is now working on her solo material under the artist name Jalees and has a new song out called Wiggle, and we cannot wait to talk to her all about it. We also dive into our vintage vault and welcome to the show New York Times bestselling author Anthony Boza, who has written books about Eminem, Slash, Tommy Lee, Derek Jeter, and the list goes on and on. Thanks so much for joining us on the show. Listen anytime, anyplace. Just a click away. KellyAlexanderShow.com Super excited to welcome back to The Kelly Alexander Show an amazing vocalist who has worked with Janet Jackson, Brandy, Christina Aguilera, Diana Ross, Patti LaBelle. The list goes on and on. Not only has she done that, but she's also been uh, featured in movies and also as a background vocalist for several seasons of The Voice on NBC. Jill Zaday, welcome back to The Kelly Alexander Show. Hey, Kelly, what's going on? Nice to I'm see you. I'm super excited to have you. The last time we did this, uh, it was just, this was pre-pandemic, so I had you just audio. So now I get to have you full screen. So this is like great times for me. So I wanted to just start back just at the beginning a little bit. What inspired you to get into a career in music? Hmm. Uh, well, I really, when I was a kid, um, I realized I could... S- copy um what i heard singers do on the radio and this was actually around the time when that control record came out um i that was actually one of my first tapes if you will um you know i'm dating myself a little bit but yes i had the janet jackson control tape it was around this time um and i could copy what i heard on the radio i could copy people but i didn't realize that that was something that not everyone could do i thought everyone could do that and so then, of course, when I would do that in front of other people, you know, I'd get a lot of a reaction. And at first, that was kind of a co- uncomfortable at first being a shy kid, uh, you know, but then I uh, really kind of lean into it. And the more and more I did it, the more I fell in love with it. Now, what would you consider to be your first big break in the business to get your foot in the door? Hmm. There have been a lot of looking back in my career, there's been so many. It's like, it's hard. Like, what's that big break? Um, I think probably Janet would be like the first major, major artist that I worked with closely and for quite some time, you know, for longer tours. I had a lot of like promo tours or small, you know, spot like one off performances with major artists. But that was probably like the big landing. I'd say um, when I when you know, back back in back in college, I sung for Patti LaBelle and Diana Ross and so forth. But it was more so a background sort of choir situation out of college and everything. But professionally, I'd say that's say Janet was probably the first big one. Now, I do have a couple of Janet questions for you because we have a lot of fans that watch the show that that know this is where you've been. And so one of them would be in any picture I see you with with Janet, she looks gleeful like she really likes to be hanging out with you. So what's your vibe with her? Because obviously you guys have a connection and you were with her for 11 years also. So, yes, she's so consistent in her personality. I mean, and it's really she's just very sweet. It's kind of just how you think. You know, I know how I know how, you know, some celebrities and artists present one way, but of course are another way in real life. It's the same who you see in the interviews, who you see on television, who you see on stage, who you see talking to you in any sort of, you know, given scenario. That's who you're getting. You're getting her. 
very sort of soft spoken, super, super sweet, super sweet and very generous, very generous person and loyal, I'd say for 11 years, you know. Was it hard for you to have that conversation when you had your daughter, when you had to tell Gil, and I, I believe you said, Daniel, that you couldn't go back out on tour? Like, what? first of all, what, like, what was that decision like for you to come to terms with and then to have to tell them? Oh, I, um, well, I waited a while. <laughs> I waited until I couldn't wait anymore <laughs> because, you know, well, first of all, like when you, when you have a baby, you know, you kind of wait, wait a little, wait a couple months, make sure it's a sure thing, you know, and then as you know, the, um, the unbreakable tour got cut short uh, because surprisingly Janet got pregnant herself. And so the following sort of like finish up of that tour, which was the state of the world tour, they were beginning, had gotten pregnant in um, March and they um, had begun rehearsals in September. So they were giving me a call around July to, you know, start talking about when we start rehearsals. And I was like, yeah, so about that <laughs> see i'm not gonna and so yeah it would have been like one month into the tour that i would have had the baby you know what i mean so um so i had to i had to uh, break the news and of course they were super excited and super happy for me and all that good stuff and of course i was super happy and excited too but it was a little bit like it was hard it was hard but then you know after all is said and done you know i feel like it was a really nice chapter you know what I mean? You know, and it's definitely okay to pass the torch on to the next, to the next group of singers. And did you have a conversation with Janet herself saying that you were leaving off? And like, did, like, did you, like, she probably wanted to congratulate you on being pregnant and all that sort of good stuff. She did. She did. I didn't talk to her directly about that. Um, I talked to her directly when she told us about her having a baby because it was a little bit uh, up in the air. Like nobody really knew what was going on. You know, um, and I think it was pretty, you know, sensitive information for her, you know, to uh, allow the public to know um, before it was actually released. So she called us individually, which I'm going to go with. That was probably the f first, if not definitely second time that she ever personally, you know, made the phone call. And I was like, wait, what? Wait, wait, what? Wait, no, wait, what? You know what I mean? It's like it's not like Janet Jackson comes up on caller ID. You know what I mean? <laughs> So um, that was that was definitely interesting. But she did congratulate me through Gil um, that she was super happy for me, you know, and um, and and Gil was, too. You know, they definitely um, he left a really nice message. Um, so, yeah, it was a good it was a good way to say goodbye. And uh, I wanted to ask you, because you've worked with so many different artists and, and obviously with Janet for so long. Is there a difference? Because I feel there's a difference between Janet's fans and then at, there's everyone else. Is that true? Yes. Janet's fans are, they're like, it goes back to the old school when you see, you know, when the Beatles and Elvis, you know, when you'd see people, girls fainting and just falling over themselves and just fainting, you know, like just out of their minds, just crazy for this artist. Like back when, you know, Michael Jackson, you know, when those fans, her fans are like this, definitely. And it, you don't really see that anymore, you know? So it was really, really not only awesome to be a, a part of it, you know, in the, sh in, you know, being a part of the show on, you know, seeing it from the stage, but it's also like, even after having left Janet, you know, the Jan fam, you know, is so supportive and really follows and supports. It's astounding. You know, it just trickles down and keeps going, keeps going. So her fans are like, obviously for life and like the best ones you can get. Amazing. And because you guys feel that right, like you're embraced by them for the rest of your life now. Yeah. Yeah. It's really, and it's almost unexpected. You know what I mean? Because for me, I've done a lot of gigs. You know what I mean? I thought, you know, you don't, 
you know, it doesn't really have like a history. Once the gig's done, you know, it goes on your resume and it's, it's great. It might lead to new connections, but you know, it's done. But this, like the Jan fan, like always keeps popping up. You know what I mean? And always, always ready to support. It's amazing. It really, really is. I'm just, I feel lucky to be a part of that. That's so cool. And we're happy to have you and want you to stay with us forever. So when the world went into lockdown, uh, your baby would have been very young, I'm sure also. But like, what was that like for you as an artist? Because I'm always intrigued by how different artists handled those two and a half years of like not being able to be out on stage. Hmm. Well, that um, was very challenging. It was very challenging. And we weren't allowed to be around people at all. You know, what I mean, let alone perform or sing i mean like remember singing was like kind of like a big no-no you know not only just being around people but obviously you're like you know projecting you know so it was just a big no-no so i really kind of pivoted over to uh, voice instruction and i started teaching online uh, quite a bit and then that sort of branched off into in person and i have a, a home studio now where i teach uh voice lessons uh as long as as well as you know i also gig and i also record and i do do everything you can do with this voice <laughs> amazing and can you tell us because i'm super happy to have you in canada but yeah so you left the states what was that like coming to canada and what's the what's the biggest thing you miss i know you're not far from the border so i know like you probably go often but but yeah what's the best thing about canada and what's the thing that you miss the most about the states I do find that um, I'm kind of on new territory, definitely. I have found that I have had to start kind of from ground up in some ways, but not in other ways, you know, but it definitely, it's a different market. It's a different scene. There's a lot more going on in LA, I will say, but it's kind of like, you know, small fish, big pond, big fish, small pond, you know what I mean? A little, a little bit of that, you know, but it's not without a lot of hard work, you know, and diligence, but I do, I, you know, I married a Canadian, so that's why we're here. And, and um, we were, we went back and forth uh, from the States and Canada uh, to begin with, but then there was the pandemic and they closed the border. Right. So Mm -hmm. it was like here or there, you know, and he, he was still working. So, and I can move, I'm online. So, so we just moved up here and, and here we are. (laughs) Do you think you'll ever move back to LA, Jill? I know you're from Massachusetts, but do you want to ever go back there or you're, you can do it remotely, I'm sure. So yeah, I do not think I'll ever live back there. I mean, I certainly would love to go. Um, you know, if work takes me there, I will go. Um, friends, I will go for trips. But in terms of um, like the long term t- tours, I've had to, you know, kind of say no to a couple of things that would just take me away for a long time, you know. And I'm kind of at a point in my life where, you know, I can sort of make things work around my situation in my life, you know, for what works for me. And I prefer not to be away from my daughter for for long periods of time. It's just it's too too. She's too young for me. You know what I mean? That's just sort of my preference. So. um, So, yeah. So in terms of going back to L.A., definitely love to visit. Definitely love to work. um, But to live now. Can you let us know, because obviously I'm sure when you're in the, that musician type group and being a vocalist for major acts, like I'm sure it's like everybody knows each other. And so do you know of other women that are out doing long term tours who do have kids? Like, how do you know? Like, there must be some. I do. I do. And I have wondered that. But of course, I didn't really put too much thought into it until I had my own kid. You know what I mean? And I was like, how do they, how do, they do that? Some some, you know, it, it really is an individual. And I have no judgments, you know, in, in terms of who, you know, what choices people make for themselves. For me, you know, um, quite often when you're when you're on tours, the majority I don't want to make a Blake in statement. But in my experience, the majority of the band was male. You know, um, so that's usually the dad's traveling, you know, the mom's home. Yes, but sometimes some female vocalists have kids and they're 
fine with traveling. They support their family that way. You know what I mean? That's that's the arrangement they have. But for me, I couldn't do it. Okay. I couldn't. Now, talk to us about uh, your new solo project. So, first of all, uh, you're you're kind of working under a pseudonym. So, explain where that name come from came or comes from. I should say. Okay, well, my sort of artist name here in Canada is Jalise, and that sort of came about, I was just kind of making a Canadian identity that was separate from, you know, um, my name and all the work that I've done in the States. In the beginning, because it was starting to, I was just trying to book work. Right. I was just trying to and not that I didn't want that to really funnel through my 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 own name. But then, of course, now not only has the pandemic cleared up and I started working more, I've been writing original music and it's sort of grown and grown. And Jalise is sort of a combination of my middle and last name. My name, my first name is Jill and my last name and my middle name is Elizabeth. So you just Jalise like half of Elizabeth. So that's where the name came from. And it's just sort of, you know kind of like just a new a new thing and um, but now of course now that the songwriting has really like taken off and we're really coming up with some good stuff they're kind of coming together so my worlds are coming together my countries so you know so that that's how it came about and why did you decide to do a solo project after so many years of working with other people uh, was it just time for you I think so. Um, you know, being in LA for such a long time, working with so many different artists, um, I have had solo projects. I've, I was um, a part of a, a group with Aaron Stevenson, if you remember, by the way, um, back back in the day. And and we're still, you know, friends and everything. I, and she has a solo career as well now that's doing great. I'm sorry. Repeat the question really quickly again. Yeah. I why? Like- why now? Why decide to 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 go oh. solo? Well, now I'm kind of doing it for myself. Um, I'm making music that. I can say, you know what? I like that song and that song is done. Not because I'm fitting into a certain box or a certain demographic that, you know, we love you, Jill, sound like this. We love you, Jill, look like this, you know, be be this instead of writing from a place of, yeah, I like that. You know, like I really, yeah, that's a catchy hook. Like I really, I don't really care what so, 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 so says, you know what I mean? That to me, that's a catchy hook, you know? So if, you know, I'm starting to make music that I really, that I would listen to, you know, and that's a great feeling. And it's kind of, it's new, you know, at this point in my life, it's, it's new to really just create music for my own enjoyment. And lo and behold, um, other people seem to be enjoying it too. So, you know, that's best of both worlds as far as I'm concerned. So you have released uh, a single called Secret. You have a new one coming out called Wiggle, which you sent to me, and it's just bananas. Uh, I I said to you, and I'm sure I'm not the only one, that it has a very Prince-type vibe to it. So tell us about the song. Like, was it an easy write? Was it an easy production? Hmm. It was an easy write when I finally sat down to do it. I had the track for about... I'm going to go with like two or three months, you know, and I got a busy life, you know, and I have lots of things to do, lots of things to write to. And this one, it was, it was really funky. You know, I mean, it was Prince all day, you know? So I wanted to, when I listened to just the track, I kept thinking of a girl walking down the street. Like it had like a nice bounce to it. You know what I mean? Like just kind of wiggling a little bit, you know what I mean? Having to music and lo and behold, we called it wiggle. And it just had a nice bounce to it. And then so once I kind of kind of got that concept, the the whole wiggle, then I just sort of rode around that. That just took about a, maybe like a couple days, you know, to write it. But yeah, it came out came out great. Now, who are you working with here in Canada to produce your stuff? Or like, are you doing it like remotely with a producer in the States? 
No, I'm doing um, in Canada here in Toronto. Um, I have a music partner. His name is Duff Music. And this record, uh, this single is also on his record as well with Secret. I don't know if you saw the video, but he's the person playing the guitar in the video. Yeah. So we're doing a lot of writing uh, together and we got a lot of stuff coming up. A lot of stuff. We got a new, actually, we have a live per acoustic performance um, on YouTube coming out next week as well. Of oh, that's amazing. And how would you categorize your sound? Like, is it like all kind of R&B funk or is it like different places? I'm going to go R&B, pop funk. Yeah. Fun. Who did, who did you grow up listening to and, and do you find that it's influencing the music you're creating right now? Oh, I mean, so many people. It, it's so ironic that, you know, we always circle back to Janet because she definitely was um, somebody that inspired me a lot. But then, you know, moving forward, of course, I think probably many vocalists can tell you Whitney Houston was a big influence. You know, I always liked music that was beyond my time, like more um, Anita Baker. That was, uh, you know, I was in high school when I was a Anita Baker fan. Um, and I took my dad to to a Anita Baker concert because none of my peers really knew, you know, they weren't into that. You know, it was like adult contemporary when I was like 15. <laughs> I was into that stuff. So those are like some really good influences. And it just really just singers, you know, right now, you know, Yeba, I don't know if you know Yeba is, but she's yeah. like my fave. She's, she's in my, she's in my rotation constantly. Amazing. And, you know, I already loved you, but knowing that you love Anita Baker, that's like you and I are even more like uh, kindred spirits. She's the jam. So now uh, what do you hope like what do you want your fans who are watching us now to know about where Jill is headed as Jalees and like, you know, what they can expect from you over the next six months to a year? Um, you can expect a lot of new music. I want to put it put together like an entire album and we've got about five songs so far. So we're just going to um, keep releasing and see what hits, you know, see, see what the fans like and keep going in that direction. You know, it's like, again, it's sort of like an exploration process again, because this is something that I'm doing that I haven't done before. You know what I mean? Just myself. I'm usually like, you know, I'm comfortable when I have company. You know, that's why singing background for Janet and the other major artists that I have done. You know, I got I got my girl on my right. I got my girl on my left. Like, come on, let's go. You know, let's go, team. You know, so stepping out while I've sung lead, you know, a lot in my whole life, of course, um, you know, most people know me for for singing backgrounds, you know, and, and that's where I get hi hired work. Um, but, you know, standing out, out there by yourself is, you know, it's a different thing. It's a different animal. So got to put my big girl pants on. You know, do you think that uh, this was a, a reason for you to step out was becoming a mom? Like, did that do you think that played a part in you making this, this decision to, like, do this? I'm not sure that becoming a mom really has anything to do with it, but I feel like it's important for my daughter to see her mother really doing and thriving it at what she does best, you know, like going to get it. You know I mean, I'm going I'm going to get it. You know what I mean? I'm fighting for it. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm I'm working for it and doing it. And she loves to sing and dance too herself. So I wouldn't be surprised if you do an interview in maybe 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, as mentioned, we have a lot of Janet fans that are watching right now. And I know that you mentioned to me that for Wiggle, you might have a surprise with some Janet dancers. Can you tell us what, what might be coming our way? Yes, I have a friend, Jay, who is a member of Jan Fan big time and we kind of put our brains together. And I don't know if you remember Alex. She's one of Janet's dancers. And I don't think on this tour, but in a couple uh, definitely unbreakable and one before that, I think on the up close and personal. Yes, she was on both of those. She's got 
a TikTok following, you know, these young kids these days in that TikTok, you know? (laughs) (laughs) So we thought of um, her making up a dance to wiggle. um, And she said she would. Um, So, yeah, so that's, that's in the works right now. That's sort of like, I think the best way to go because it is straight up a dance song. Like you heard it, you know what I mean? It's like, it makes you want to move, you know? So, so I can't wait to see how that comes out. And will you be, because as we're speaking right now, you know, Janet's tour is kicking into high gear. Like it's going to, it's getting going. Are you going to go see it when it comes to Toronto? And and are is there going to be some level uh, uh, like you miss standing next to Janet or behind Janet? Um, there is. I will be going. Yes. And there's always, you know what I mean? There's always a little bit of nostalgia and a little but it's it's hard to say it's bittersweet because it doesn't it doesn't hurt to watch it. It's a little bit of like sort of just like, oh, that was so much fun, you know, but then sort of considering Oh, you know, like I wouldn't be like, oh, I wish I could do that now because I mean, I went on like three plus tours and lots of promo and, you know, it's, you know, I've, I've been there. I've seen it. I've seen, I've seen it. I've seen it all. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, you know, you kind of, it, it's, it's, it's amazing. You know what I mean? It's very glamorous and it's so exciting, you know, to be a part of it, but, but it's okay to, it's okay to do something else now. You know what I mean? I'm actually really personally satisfied by the music I'm making right now. So it's a different kind of, it's a different kind of satisfaction. Amazing. And I know for fans also, uh, you know, you three vocalists, you and Aaron and Oni were like just such a great dream team. Can you just tell us what it was like to work with, with those two ladies, you know, for so long? Picture going on the road with two of your best friends, you know, tons of laughs, I had so much fun with those girls, you know, we just really, there was, you know, and that's, that's when, um, on these tours, of course, people are hired for their talent, you know, but you're there because you also can be around, you know, people, you know what I mean? Like you're, you're easy to be around. Right. So not only do people are, are they're picked because, you know, they're great for the job, but like, you know, you have to be on a bus with them. You have to be rehearsals with them. Like we spend a lot of time together, you know, and it actually kind of turns into this like big bubble, you know, of, you know, it's, you, you kind of you lose sense of reality in a way like that you're doing anything, like you're just kind of working and this is your work crew, right? It's not like you're, you're, we're the famous artist, you know, it's just sort of the job, but yeah, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy. It's crazy. For your songs, like Wiggle, is there going to be a music video? That's in the works too. I think that, I think we're going to start with this TikTok and then, yeah, then we'll see, we'll see how, how it goes from there. We started with secret. We have the secret video is out and it's available on my YouTube channel under Julie's music. Amazing. And then uh, going forward too, like, do you want to do like some tour dates, you know, maybe Montreal, maybe, you know, obviously you're in Toronto. So uh, head to the States at all. Like, is that in the plans also to just kind of do some spot spot dates or even a tour? Um, that's, that's definitely something that's possible in the future. We're just sort of in like, um, music making mode right now, right? Once we have a, a, a project to back up a full project. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I'll be booking in the States. It'll be, it'll be all over. And I know you said you've got five songs right now. Do you know how many you want for the album or do you think you're going to record like 30 and then pick your 10 or 12? I mean, that's how, that's how it usually goes. You kind of just got to write, 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 write. And you know, you got to write some bad ones to get to the good ones, (laughs) you know? (laughs) <laughs> Amazing. I have a couple of quick questions because I, I like to call this fast facts with our artists. So fast facts with Jill. And okay. so if you could switch places with another artist or producer for one day, who would it be and why? Uh, um, another artist. Right now, I know this sounds, this is probably underground. I don't know if this is going to fly, but I think 
right now I or I would like to sit beside. I would like to Yeba. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, just because for some reason I connect with her music so much that it is creepy. You know what I mean? Have you ever heard an album and you felt like somebody was writing about your thoughts, your feelings, your experiences, that it's like kind of weird? You know, I've had that sort of connection with her as an artist. I know it's not, you know, she's not a huge artist, but musically I respect, I have a lot of respect. You know, us musicians kind of have a tendency to uh, go for the real underground, you know, the real like musicians, people, you know, the people that are really musically just above and beyond. When you were on stage with Janet, what was your favorite song to perform? I think All For You. Okay, cool. Good choice. Yeah, I think it was just fun. And that's that's the one that always kind of and I I still have the dance moves. (laughs) I I can't not do them. I can't not do them. You know? That's so good. What is always in your fridge? What's always in my fridge? Diet ginger ale. <laughs> That's good. Um, can it cry, eh? Yeah. Who is the coolest person in your phone apart from your family and friends that you can like call or text? You, Kelly. <laughs> <laughs> You're the first person that's ever said that. So I'm going to like clip that because I, I appreciate that very much. Fa- favorite board game to play? Favorite board game um my kid keeps getting me to play Candyland, though i have to say that's not my favorite board game but that's the one i seem to be playing repeatedly these days <laughs> and now that you're in canada do you like are you listening to any canadian artists like i know obviously we play tons of americans up here in canada we do that there's no do you do you have you like delved into any canadian music people yet i do have to say now i have to be very careful um, cause I don't want to, you know, I ha- well, I'll just say this. I haven't heard anything that really has just spoken to me personally in a musical way. There's a lot of different kinds, there's different kinds of music here. A, le- a lot of less mainstream. There's this thing called Roots. Yeah. <laughs> roots. Yeah. We, we don't know about this Roots in, in the States. You know, it's kind of a mixture between like blues and country yeah so that's something that we we don't have but yeah i'm just kind of i'm kind of taking you know my taste that i've always had you know and um bring it bring them with me here you know seems and to be- uh, for people who don't know what it's like which is all of us uh what was it like to be a part of the voice um uh, it was super exciting and, and and really fun again the people that i was working with are people that i had worked with in the past when i performed on the billboard music awards um singing for Lindsay lohan one of the girls kara brits who i did that was like her first gig ever, ever she was like 21 cut to later she is now the person that runs vocals uh for the voice and she would come she would have me come in and it was very very cool a lot of post-production stuff we did one uh where we were actually singing it was christina aguilera was doing a duet with a hologram of whitney houston like so it was made to look like the two of them were doing a duet and then, you know, there's all these, you know, for I'm every woman, like this choreography. It was pretty, it was pretty cool. But you know, the thing I remember the most, tell me, they put us in these high heels and my feet were broken after that. <laughs> That's what I remember. <laughs> oh my goodness. No matter what artist it is, but tell, tell me what your favorite like event was that you performed at, whether it was a billboard music awards or what, like, was it a private show? Like what's the coolest experience you've had, uh, you know, being a background vocalist for XYZ, like who, mm-hmm. whoever. Monte Carlo was pretty cool. Um, that was just, you know, elite and just really like, you know, amazing. Um, we had a gig way back in 
the Bahamas. Um, there's a resort called Atlantis there. And Janet was performing. It was like the opening of some sort of portion of this big thing. And it was um, the stage was there was, a, there was a catwalk and it went into the water. You know, so it was like, ocean, not ocean, it was man-made water, what you know, but up to the stage. And then, you know, so that was that was pretty cool. And um, when we performed for the troops, I don't know why, but that was just really cool. You know, when we performed, we performed at Camp Pendleton. That's amazing. That was like 2006, right? Or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it was really it was it was just a neat experience. Um, and I actually they actually like thought I was like one of the troops. <laughs> Like, is you know, what? picture behind you in that in that. Is that it? Yes. Yeah. We were wearing that. You know what happened? Neo came up to me. He was like, thanks for your work. Thanks for your service. Because we were wearing these outfits and we we're like, no problem. <laughs> 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 in the country. Oh, my God. And 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 last question. I know you're not uh, because you work with everybody, but like you're are you starstruck about around anybody like have, like. Uh, not really. Uh, of course, there's always like a super heightened awareness, you know, if one is in the room. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, you know, like, it's not like, you know, oh, who's that? Oh, you know, good old, what's his name just walked in. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. oh, geez, you know, you know, <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, it's somebody's in the room. But when Janet was there, it was like, you know, she, she was she had a presence, you know, but um, very, very quiet and and sweet and just always, you know, there was no it was not threatening at all. Um, so I haven't really gotten that. I haven't really. Got, I probably would if I, you know, saw Stevie Wonder or something like that. You know, um, I'd probably just be like, oh, my God, <laughs> <laughs> he's like, the, he's like one of the last ones left, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's still around. So. Amazing. Any message for your fans and Janet fans who love you? Like, like, well, cause we're all Jill fans anyways, but any message for your fans? Well, I've just always been super grateful um, for the following that Janet has created and that those fans have extended to everyone that's been a part of her projects. You know, it just, it's really heartwarming. It's really surprising. Um, it's humbling. And I'm just, you know, super grateful for it. You know, it's, it's, it's just awesome. It's just, it's, you don't even, when you're a part of that, you don't think that people are following you. You think people are following, you know, Janet, but pe people really do. People really do. They know what's going on with you. It's like, wait, what? You know? So if I were to see her again, I would certainly give her a big hug and thank her for that. Amazing. And uh, where do you want people to follow you on social media? Yes, ma'am. Um, I have, um, you know, I have my Jill Zaday, um, but Jaliz Music, J-E-L-I-Z Music. Um, you can find me on Facebook and Insta. I want to get those TikTok owns with Alex so we can hear wiggle and the people okay. so you can start wiggling to it. <laughs> well, best of luck. We love you so much. And you're always welcome back on the show. Is that cool? It's awesome. Always. Uh, amazing. Thank you so much to uh, Jill Zaday hanging out with us again. Don't forget to follow her on Instagram at Jaliz Music. The Kelly Alexander Show. Follow us on Instagram, Kelly Alexander Show. Joining us on the show is New York City-based author and writer Anthony Boza, who has written for Rolling Stone, Maxim Spin, Paper Blender, and is also a New York Times best-selling author writing books about Eminem, Slash, ACDC, Tommy Lee, Derek Jeter, Artie Lang, Wyclef Jean, and the list goes on and on. Anthony, super excited to welcome you to The Kelly Alexander Show. 
Hi, Kelly. How are you? I am great. Thank you so much for, for making time to do this. Um, I've been a fan of your work for several years now. I mentioned to you before we started the interview that I had re- uh, read the Slash book several years ago and was totally taken by it. And I wanted to ask you, I guess, right off the hop with regards to uh, one of your latest projects. You've now written two books on Eminem. The latest one is Not Afraid, The Evolution of Eminem. Uh, it just came out last year. What was it like going back to this subject after about a 15-year break? What did you sort of notice the most about that 15-year evolution of Eminem? Um, I mean, it was interesting. You know, I was I wrote the very first national cover story on him ever back in 1989. And, you know, I've always been pretty close to the camp. Uh, when his best friend Proof was murdered, I was the only journalist allowed into the funeral and the wake and, you know, went to, like, all of the sort of events with family and stuff. So I've always been really close to that, that camp. Um, but I can, you know, I did the book mostly because this sort of latest phase of his career, I think, was really misunderstood. He's changed so much. It's just, it's like, it's crazy. It's basically a different person. Um, a lot of that was getting sober. You know, he was a lot younger then. He was definitely deep in the just party vibes and all that kind of stuff. Um, what I really wanted to get at was was all of these records that have been released in the last 15 years. Uh, they've really, the media has really kind of turned on him, and uh, they really weren't given sort of the critical due. And I really just wanted to take the time and do that. I also, uh, the first book I wrote in, back in 2003 was really focused on his origin story and everything from, you know, his own words and everything like that. This was, I spent more time actually speaking to his best friends and the ones that watched him suffer uh, while trying to get sober. You know, he, he overdosed and nearly died. He was, he was really addicted um, to drugs. So it, it was just, it's a, it was an entirely different book and a different approach. And to me, it was like the first one was, you know, right there at the epicenter. And this one was sort of like really about getting sober and how his music has changed and um, giving the records that have come out in the last few years, uh, like their critical due. Because I felt like a lot of critics just didn't do that. They were sort of like, oh, Eminem is angry still and he raps really fast and, and you know, it's just there's nothing really to pay attention to here and pretty much I disagree with that so that's why I did it and can you talk to us a little bit about his personality because you said it's almost like it's a different person so was he more open in the past like is he more reserved now because it just seems like he has become a hermit he most definitely has um he was in the past he really was embodying like you know i don't i just don't give an f attitude yeah. <laughs> um and he really was just like this is who i am it is all out there and that's who he was he was going to be successful on his own terms he's going to be accepted for for that and really did not care what you thought of him that's changed you know he's he's not angry anymore you know he's completely been successful on his own terms um, getting sober really made him take changes entire life. He basically talks to probably about seven people on a regular basis. You know, this is, these are things that people have to do that have, you know, dependency problems like staying sober successfully usually calls for an entire restructuring of your life. And he also really wants to be left alone. The guy was, he's not really an attention seeking type of celebrity. He like never left Detroit. You know, he he could have moved to L.A., he could have done a lot more movies. He really is kind of like a, a pretty, you know, homebody-ish, blue-collar kid who just loves rapping, who just loves hip-hop. So um, 
I would say that what has changed is that he's unapologetic about that. He has everything he needs on his like Detroit compound. There's like a full recording studio there. He's like indoor pool, outdoor pool. The guy doesn't really need to go anywhere. And so he doesn't, you know, he, he can like decide to do a concert and, uh, and go to it. It's going to sell out every single record. Another reason you know, I really wanted to do the book was that in the last 15 years, people have said like, oh, Eminem, it's over. But every single album he put out was number one in like 29 countries and went platinum. So, I, you know, there was like this change in, you know, basically critics are sort of like, he's saying, you know, nobody cares about Eminem anymore. It's not a big deal. But um I couldn't disagree more. So, and so okay, you know, all, all the fans around the world couldn't disagree either. So I guess the big change, you know, to answer your question in a very long roundabout way is that he's gotten, he's really sort of, you know, dialed it back and, um, and uh, he's socially distanced. He's <laughs> way ahead of the curve there. But uh, yeah, he, he really is just not doing anything he doesn't want to do, not talking to anyone if he doesn't have to. Um, he more or less has stopped doing all interviews. The only ones that he that he did in 2017 and since then have been sort of controlled by he and his management, um, you know, like, and they're just like released on YouTube. You know, that's really taking any sort of media out of it. If you're kind of like making your own interview video where you answer the, the questions that are expected about the making of a record and just really edit it and release it on your own. That's, that's really, yeah, <laughs> that's okay. controlling everything. That's all I have to say. And I know you said he, he doesn't speak to many people anymore. Uh, I'm just wondering how important you think Elton John plays a part in his life, because I just finished reading Elton John's biography not long ago, and I know yeah. that he talks a fair amount about Eminem in the chapter where he sort of talks about how he's a sponsor for certain celebrities. And so I'm just yeah. wondering if you think he plays still an important part in, in Eminem's recovery and continued uh, health. They, yeah, they speak every week as far as I, I, I know still. Um, they're very close. That was the first call he made. He, uh, you know, he OD'd and like it was on Christmas. Uh, he almost died, and when he was really ready, he sort of came back and detoxed, but knew he wasn't quite. He knew he was going to do drugs again. Okay. Once he was really, really ready, the first call he made was Elton John. So those two are incredibly tight. Oh, wow. Okay, cool. And um, yeah. I, I wanted to ask you this just because I know that Eminem's had his fair share of uh, security, or I should say celebrity feuds or disagreements or whatever you want to, or clapbacks. Uh, what's your thoughts on the fact that I, I always feel like, in a way, Mariah Carey got the best of him? <laughs> you mean because <laughs> how so? I just feel like he because I always feel like he claps back really well. Still angry at, about it? Yeah, and I just feel like she's. The, I don't know if she's the one that got away or or she really was crazy to him. I don't know, but it just feels like out of all the the sort of clapbacks that he's done, I just feel like it never really worked when he clapped back at Mariah. Like I still feel like she kind of she came out of the battle on the top on that one. Interesting. Uh, well, I mean, I will say this: like, he he's still talking about it so long after the fact. So it, I think it really got under, she got under his skin, but I mean, listen, maybe there's just something about Mariah because, you know, Nick Cannon is going for him and nobody cares, but he released like five diss tracks, like just a couple months ago. Yeah. Um, yeah. And they've been divorced for quite a while. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> uh, maybe Mariah really does something that uh that we can't even imagine yeah you know <laughs> it must it, be that it must be must be as powerful as that christmas song yeah, exactly yeah. uh <laughs> i wanted to ask you to um what's the difference for you process wise between writing a biography versus when you co-write because i know that there is a difference there oh very 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 different yeah so i mean um, you know, I've written the two m and books and I wrote a book called why ACDC matters, which is basically, um, 
<laughs> just me kind of ranting at the fact that they were never critically acclaimed and they're so good. So that's a whole other story. Um, <laughs> but other than that, when I'm co-writing, the biggest difference is, you know, those books are me writing as myself. I'm co-writing as the other person. So it's a bit like um, doing it. It's like being in a play, if you will, for a certain amount of time. So I'm, I am that person on the page. My job is to think like them and write the way that they would write if, you know, they were kind of a trained writer. So, so it's a, it's a completely different thing in a lot, in some ways it's easier because the, you know, the beginning middle and well, not really the end. Cause usually the people I co-write with are alive, but you know, the story's right there and it's like sitting in front of me. Um, it's just a different set of skills. I really have to like hyper observe them and um, imitate them, at least in my head, you know, okay. usually by the end of it, I can kind of imitate them speaking, but oh, wow. um, that is not, that's, I, I'm not fishing for you to ask me to do that, but, <laughs> <laughs> but so, it's totally, totally different. You know, I have to like, I have to sort of spend enough time with them to get the natural cadence of the way they tell a story and um, also get them to trust me and tell their stories and be truthful about it. And then, you know, I sort of put it together in a way that will hopefully keep the, the reader turning the page. And how do you do that, Anthony? Like, do you like sit there and do, uh, you know, let's say audio interviews with them where you're recording what they're saying and then kind of write, let's say, a, 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 you know, one of their experiences in life, like let's say how they got their first record deal or whatever. And then do you send that off to them so they're okay with how it reads? Like, I'm just wondering how that actual process of you becoming them works with regards to their own personal stories. Um, well, first I take a deep dive in their closet. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, I, yeah, no, basically I record all the interviews and then, um, you know, have them just like get the transcript of that. And uh, most of the time I like to listen back to the tapes while I'm, while I'm reading the transcripts because there's just ways, like there's places that people pause when they tell a story and, you know, that's the sort of fine tuning of it. It's not just like, you know, you can't just record someone telling a story and then edit it and throw it on a page and have it come alive the way I like my books to come alive. So, um, I usually need to pick, I'm very, very careful with the first sample that I send them because some people, uh, will see themselves on the page and might not realize that they speak a certain way. And it might, you know, they might, they, it's, it's very tricky because you can't just show them, you can't just show them a mirror. You have to like, figure out what they see when they look in the mirror and show them that. Okay. If yeah, that that's a talent. Yeah, yeah. There's like another there's like another psychological layer that goes to it. So it's like it's very tricky. The first thing I show someone, you know, I I remember showing Slash something um and he liked it and then I wrote like 200 pages and he was like this just really isn't right. And I was like, "But why did you let me write most of a book?" <laughs> so, um <laughs> What I really, what the issue was, was that he was, I needed to show him something of, there was, I guess, a period of his life that he was more familiar with, because, you know, we were doing all the childhood stuff, and that, that sort of turned him off. You have to kind of figure out, you, you got to figure out a couple things. Like, earning the trust is different with every single person I've worked with. Um, but generally, you know, I spent some time, do some interviews, I take one sample from that. I spend a lot of time getting their voice right. So whatever like period of their life they seem to be most forthcoming about, that's usually what I will like sort of hone down to, uh, you know, 
we basically get like shine it to a fine, fine, perfect point of how I think that they're going to sound throughout the book. Um, and once we agree on that and they get it and they're comfortable with it, then I sort of dive in and do the whole thing. Okay. Joining us on The Kelly Alexander Show is New York Times bestselling author Anthony Boza. And uh, you can check him out and learn all about him. Grab his social media handles on his website, aboza.com. How do you think you managed to get these amazing celebrities, uh, you know, that have had so much success on stage to trust you? Like like a Slash, like a Wyclef Jean? Um, it, you know, it, it's really different. I wish I could say there's a formula, but it's really kind of funny to know each individual person. Um, Slash, Slash basically told, he didn't even tell me, he's a very, he sort of is, uh, he definitely plays his, keeps his cards close to his, close to the best, and, uh, and doesn't give out compliments a lot. Um, yeah, I've basically heard from a mutual friend over a year later when it was and why it was that he decided to do the book with me. Um, he didn't even tell me, but he knew that they would tell me. So, <laughs> um, that's the kind of guy he is. I mean, he's the best. Like he, I love him. He was amazing. Um, but he had met with about five or six other writers and people have been trying to get him to do this book for years. And I think I was the seventh person, you know, his manager at the time was like, all right, listen, this, this person is different. I'd worked with this manager before. So we, we've known each other for a while. He was like, listen, just give him a shot. And it was because I spent eight hours with him, with him telling stories all night. And I didn't ask about Axl Rose or Guns N' Roses once. But that's mostly because his childhood is absolutely fascinating. I mean, you've read you've read the book. Like his childhood is like cooler than most like adult rock stars. He was oh, yeah. that cool by twelve. Yeah. So <laughs> I was like just riveted. Um, you know, his mom had an affair with David Bowie and was a costume designer and just all this cool LA music stuff. So that's what it was with him. I, you know, because I think every other writer went right for the obvious, like, let's hear about why you need Axelos. And this is, you know, before they got back together and stuff. So I just didn't go there. I, I don't know. I mean, I just try to treat them like people and, and whatever fascinates me about their story. Um, I just kind of ask a lot of questions about. And it's usually, you know, I do tons of research. So I usually know already about the, the stuff that we all know about. Um I don't know, taking interest in the, the stuff that makes him a regular person, uh, I think establishes a different kind of trust. And it's, it would be my advice to a fledgling writer, go that route. That's awesome. So I was going to ask you actually later in the interview, like for an aspiring music writer right now that either wants to work for like a Rolling Stone or a Blender or, uh, you know, wants to write books like you're doing, like what is the biggest piece of advice you would you would give to them? Uh, find a better career, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> I would say go back in time to when there used to be magazines. Um, first of all, you know, it's, I feel very privileged to have been sort of the last of, uh, you know, I'm one of the people who, who's able to sort of make a career in actual print magazines where we had multiple editors who all like went to, you know, great colleges and were really good at their job. Um, you know, like that's where I learned to write because you know, Rolling Stone, when I was there, came out every two weeks and were constantly working and I had three editors all of whom went to like incredible colleges all editing my stuff and giving me ideas about how to make it better um when digital you know when like digital took over everything and people expected you know their their media quicker not necessarily better and instantly on their computers rather than waiting for something to come out you know in paper 
um, that changed everything. Like, you know, they had to cut corners and, and suddenly there weren't three other things to work on that stuff. It would be like, you know, just whatever I would write for the, for like rollingstone.com would just go right up. So I had to do all that myself. Um, so those days are kind of done. I, I mean, I would say like, you find your voice and make it different than everyone else and just stick to that. Um, it's hard. It's definitely hard. I mean, I always like give advice to any music writers that, that contact me or I have to meet. Um, and, you know, I know like these kids are working really hard for like, I need to get like, you know, a hundred bucks, maybe an article. If, if, if uh, and they go up online and sort of people forget about them. Like they're, they're, unfortunately they're not getting the type of in the field, almost like I called it like graduate school, like on the job graduate school is kind of what I got. Uh, I feel bad that people aren't getting that. And that's like all through publishing, you know, with my books, I, um, I come from a time where there used to be like, you know, really conscientious copy editors and editors. And, and unfortunately that's kind of gone. Like it's, they're out there for sure. I'm not saying it's across the board, but sometimes, um, I say that I, I spend more time trying to do all of that myself. And it's actually really hard. If you're writing like a 350 page book and you've written it and you're reading it for the third or fourth time, you are going and things are going to get by you. Oh, yeah. um, and we're in the kind of day and age where like the person creating is responsible for all of it. Um, unfortunately. So, I guess I would probably give them that gloom and doom speech that I just gave you first. <laughs> and uh, if you still really love it, then you know that you are going to do it. I mean, I think anyone who's a writer kind of has to be one. It's like, you know, it's not easy. It's really not easy. And it's sort of, you know, um, it's great for social distancing, but um, <laughs> it's sort of an isolated existence. And I think you either, you know, do it because you have to or because you can. Um I don't know, you know, it's, it's tougher than ever, but I would say that the best, you know, kind of relationships to nurture, I guess, for someone who wants to be a music writer are directly with the artists and managers. Um, you know, I, obviously it's, it's sort of the same, I guess, with digital and people have to make friends with editors and, and pitch ideas and all that kind of stuff. Um, I don't really do that anymore. I just mostly focus on books and like the occasional article. Uh, but I think, you know, the best relationships, I've had are from because of what I do, you know, just mostly the co-writes is just being getting close to the artists and managers and, and earning that trust there that you're going to take care of their story and make it something that everyone, you know, can, can digest without making them feel, um, I guess, untrue to themselves. Now, I wanted to pull you back to a second uh, or for a second about your, your process. Like with, we'll keep using Slash as the example, um, when you took on that project and when he agreed to let you take on that project, like how long was that process start to finish? And did you have to like move to LA to, you know, sort of immerse yourself in it? Yeah, no, I definitely moved to LA. Um, <laughs> I, I was in LA, you know, every person again is different. Um, slash, it was perfect timing. So um, when I met Slash, he was not yet completely clean and sober. And then he sort of like, we got the book deal and then he kind of disappeared. And that's because he went to full hardcore rehab for three months. Uh, when he came out is when we really got into the book. So, you know, like I said, every single person's different. But for him, he was, when he was still using, he was like, uh, from like midnight to 4 a.m., he would stay in this kind of little studio 
hang room in his house and he would like to drugs and smoke cigarettes and play guitar after his wife and kids were asleep. So he wasn't doing any of the drugs anymore. And he smoked a lot of cigarettes and never opened a window, by the way. Oh, wow. Um, so <laughs> it was rough. So he filled that time with me and telling me stories and got really into the book, which was fantastic because he was like willing, able, almost like, shit. I need something to do right now. So um, so that's kind of what we did. I would show up at his house three days a week at around midnight, and I'd be there till like four in a room with Flash, having him tell me all the stories that made our like nearly 500-page book. Um, and that's the way it was. It was totally immersive. I kind of immerse until I have a lot of raw material, and it's like we're, we've told the story. Then I disappear, and I do my strange brain transformation and go away and write the thing over a couple of months and don't do anything else. Um, like, I see my friends, and I'm just, you know, just kind of, like, distracted. And, like, that's kind of all I do. That's why I say it's like being in, like, a limited-run play. Okay. You know, sort of like, <laughs> I, I really get into it, and I do it, like, every day. And then I want to, like, shed the skin and be like, yes, here it is. And stuff. So that's kind of how I do it. And that's what I did. And then I, um, you know, showed him that he's again, he was, he was different because I did 200 pages and he was like, you know, this isn't really right. And I was like, you couldn't have said something before then. But okay, let's fix this. Let's do it. So I sort of went, I jumped ahead to the part of the story he was more comfortable with, which was his adult life. And then went back and sort of tailored the rest once I sort of got the voice right in the adult world. But um, then then you bring it, you know, then obviously they read stuff all throughout, but when it's fully done, that's when they have it and need to go through it page by page carefully and uh, make all their final changes. And then I sort of in integrate all that stuff. And then we have like a final product. And I'm working with the editor kind of throughout, mostly like, you know, just keeping them up to date and um, hopefully having them be super excited and, uh, and that's it. So again, with Slash, uh, he he uh, he's he's a funny one. He kept saying he was with Velvet Revolver then and kept saying like, "I have a bunch of changes." We were getting closer and closer to the absolute drop dead deadline, and finally he was like, he wouldn't tell me what they were at all. Oh my God. I was like, yeah, there's like, I have a lot, you know, all the way through. And finally my publisher said, you know, okay, I'm expensing a plane ticket. I'm flying you to Canada. <laughs> um, and you're going to sort this out because we have a lot of money riding on this and so just go do it. So when I got to his hotel room, um, I realized that he hadn't even started reading it. And he opened the first page that second I got there and I was like yeah okay and whipped out his like red pencil and I was like are you kidding me right now oh my so God. I ended up you know going on the Zelda Revolver tour for a week which was totally fun but uh, but that's how it was so <laughs> it, that's not the way you want it to go all the time when I finally got back to New York and finished every last change um, I like pulled a couple all-nighters just went for it and got this thing done as quickly as possible like nipping and tucking it all um, my published my editor's assistant was like at my door at eight in the morning like i had handed it to her and the book came out a month later like the first printing oh my that God. is not the way publishers want anything to happen believe me. it's like <laughs> they luckily you know it hit the bestseller list it was a wildly successful book it's still you know in 
hard in print, obviously, and uh, and it's a classic. It's according to a bunch of people, but um, that's not the way it should happen. Wow. <laughs> but that's the way that one happened. Oh my god! And what was the difference between like that and maybe Tommy Lee? Because I realized they're in the same kind of genre. So was it as chaotic with Tommy Lee, or was it a different experience for you? Um, well, Tommy Lee, I lived with for nine months. Oh, while writing the book. Okay, that, <laughs> and that works. Was the first time I did a co-write. Yeah, but yeah, I did. I lived. He moved me in. Um, which is odd. we're like very, 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 very best friends, like, you know, very close friends to this day. He's amazing. Um, but I'd never done a co-write before. I only done my first Eminem book and then got this book deal and, uh, you know, didn't really know what to expect. I figured, you know, I was going to figure out this co-write thing as I went along and um, I went to LA again and uh, for two weeks, Tommy was just gone. He like had, he was partying with like a very rich friend on a yacht in Mexico. And I was like, okay. All right. So I was like in my little apartment and then, um, I started going, you know, at that time he wasn't in Motley Crue and he basically is like kind of a big brother to me. And then he was like a big brother who was hazing me. Uh, so I would mention Motley Crue and he would be like, I'm not in that band. I don't want to talk about that. And I point out nicely that he, and he joined the band at 17 and he's in his like late forties and really hasn't done much else. No offense, you know he had nothing to say him and stuff. But like we can't ignore seventeen to forty. Like that's all you did. You got to talk about it. So he started being like, "All right, I'll do it if you do a shot of Jack right now." So that would start at like eleven in the morning, and I was just trying to get the work done. But there's, I was like never sober enough to leave for like the first couple of weeks. I couldn't drive down this windy hill in Malibu. I wasn't going to do that. Do not drink and drive. So it's like, no way. So I ended up sleeping over, and finally he's like, you know what, dude? I don't think I want to pay for your apartment anymore. I think I haven't had a roommate in a really long time. So you're going to stay here. And that's just kind of the beginning of nine months odyssey <laughs> that we can do in another interview. But it was amazing. So that one was like, I wrote that one um, kind of in the trenches. Because I wrote it there. Um, in some ways, I would say, that one really is the closest to being inside the mind of the personality that I worked with because Tommy would, he hooked the monitor up to my laptop. So as I was writing, he would like kick back, be like drinking. I believe he was drinking watermelon martinis or just things like that. Uh, so he'd be drinking a watermelon martini, literally reading the line I was writing in his voice as I was writing it. So it was like super meta and amazing. And I could like nip it, tuck it, make it sound more like him. Um, and he also completely indulged every insane idea about how to deconstruct a rock and roll autobiography. Um, like we had his, uh, I made his penis argue with him about who's more famous because of the sex tape with Pamela Anderson. Yeah. Um, that's in there. Uh, I put footnotes, like academic footnotes as myself in there that like have no business being in like, you know, the famous metal musician's <laughs> autobiography. Um, he also like, when I got notes back from the editor, we had a very stuffy British editor who didn't get a lot of the American slang. And Tommy was like looking over my shoulder while I was answering these things like on paper. And he'd be like, well, who asked that stupid question? And then he would say something so funny that I just started putting his answers back in. And we have that also in there in the form of like, we'll look like post-it notes or the book. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, I haven't lived with another artist I've worked with like for nine months, but maybe if I did, it would be like that. Like, this is really what it's like to hang out with him and 
be in his brain. So I'm proud of that one for that reason. That's awesome. <laughs> it's quite it's quite a bit different. Flash is a lot more serious. <laughs> Tommy's really funny and silly and goofy and lovable. And not that Flash isn't all those things. He's just like, he's Flash. He's cool. He's got his sunglasses on all the time, you know? Yeah, well, that's, that's not an act. That's what he's like. He's just like, hey, man, what's going on? He's like, got this really serene... Um, but unflinching sort of point of view on the world. Okay, that makes sense. And Tommy, Tommy's just dead. Tommy's t- look at him. He stands upside down in a drum set in leather <laughs> underwear. Come on, it's true. <laughs> it's true. And uh, you know the fact that you have eight, uh, you know, New York Times bestselling books. How does Anthony Boza now pick, uh, you know, his projects? Like, how do you do this? Um, well, I. I I I start I started to just get people approaching me. Um, I've had to turn down a couple just because I've been overbooked. Some of them really stunned because I would have done them. Uh, one of which the Anthony Kiedis book. I had to turn that down because I was literally booked up. Uh, but anyway, now so I do get a lot of people coming to my agent or my manager or emailing me directly. Um, that yeah, that's a lot of it. I've pursued a few. Uh, and a lot of times, a lot of the people that I really want to work with are usually are quite a bit older and they've sort of had a journalist that they've known forever. Um, so they've chosen not to go with me, but I'm, I'm lucky enough that things come to me or else I have like a couple people who reach out for me and, and that's kind of how it works now. And when you schedule yourself, like, is it a book a year? Like how does, I'm just trying to figure out like time frame wise, like how you structure your, your working life. I would like for you to figure that out and tell me, <laughs> um, you know, a lot of it's like supply and demand. You know, the thing about co- the co-writes is really getting the person when they have enough going on, but not too much going on. Because if you think about it, you know, no matter how well I get along with them, I'm basically like coming over to their house and we're doing some form of psychotherapy in a way because it's like you're they're telling me stories i'm asking follow-up questions i'm looking for themes of, throughout their life of things to bring up kind of through the book to make it an interesting story right so mm-hmm. you don't want to doing that after like you've played a gig or you know that kind of stuff sort of hard so it's a lot of it is just really timing and people at certain stages of their career where they might be ready to look back you know i don't i don't think it's always like great to do a co-written autobiography with somebody who's still kind of in the throes of it, you know, Um, that's why like the Eminem thing was a biography better that I, I, you know, I'm writing about what's happening to him, giving my opinion. He's probably not going to be ready to do that. So, um, so I guess a lot of it's timing and willingness, you know, uh, if someone's got like, they're done with an album cycle and a touring cycle, and maybe they want to chill a little bit, that's kind of when you get them. Or I mean, in the case of Slash, like being completely sober, um, and clean, he was, you know, a little more clear headed and ready to, to talk about stuff. So I guess really no, no straight answer, but it, it, it depends on, on their willingness to, you know? So it's like, Flash was very, very workhorse about it. Like, you're coming over here three days a week. Um, we did, like, four hours a session. And I did that. I stayed out there for about three months. In okay. three months, we were literally, we were done. And that's a 500-page book. That's one of my longer ones. So, um, 
you know, Tommy nine months and he wanted to be there every step of the way. He wanted me, he wanted me to like live like him and write his book, which I totally respect. I think that's super cool. Yeah. Although it was a lot to keep up with, um, <laughs> <laughs> but, and I was younger than him. It's <laughs> hard as hell to keep up with that guy. So, um, someone like, you know, Y class was very, it was more like going to do a bunch of magazine articles. He was like kind of hands offish and, you know, like the product, but that was a whole different experience. Uh, usually, you know, once I gathering, gathering the material is always the variable. Once mm-hmm. I have enough hours and I know I have a book, I, I write kind of fast. Uh, so it usually takes me like three to four months Okay. to, to be done. I mean, if a publisher, you know, it, these things get tricky because the publisher wants to set a date. The artist might say, you know, I'm going to be able to give you some amount of time and then things come up and then, you know, then they're like squishy. Basically, I always kind of get jammed and have to like, you know, a lot of the time. So I get jammed up because, uh, because the artist has sort of changed their schedule. But my due date is the same. Okay. So it's a little tricky. I like to say when I sign up to work with someone that it's going to be a year if you give me everything I need. Okay. <laughs> and it'll be like, you yeah, got three or four months of intense me or six months of less intense. And then I need, I usually say six, but I'm often done sooner. I don't like to tell it to too many publishers, <laughs> although this is probably not the venue to say this, but because then they expect it. And yeah. Anyway, <laughs> next. <laughs> That'll be our secret. And when it comes to publishers, Anthony, how does that work? Like if you, you like, like, you know, use the Tommy book or use the slash book. Like how do you partner up with a publisher? Like, like, yeah, did they come to you? Like, how does that all fly? Uh, two different things happen. They will either go and sign up a celebrity and then figure out the co-writer in which case they'll call my representatives, um, and say, Hey, we have someone to signed up. I think this is a good match. Let's have them meet. And then we take it from there. Or I meet with the celebrity um, and we decide to work together. We establish sort of a you know contract that we're going to sell this project together. I prepare all the you know materials that, to give to editors to be like, here's a sample chapter. Here's what it's like. We come in and shake hands and they see that like we, we get along. We actually will be able to do a book together. Yeah. And, uh, and then it goes from there. So either we sell it together and I'm already like with the artist. Or it's already been sold to a publisher and they come to me. Okay, got it. And correct me if I'm wrong, but when I was doing my research, I didn't seem to see where you have written a book about just like a female artist on her own. Like, is that, is that true? Or is, there, is that down the, the pipeline? Like, you might do that? Um, I would love to. I did. I wrote an entire book with one um, who I had to sue to get paid and I'm not allowed to talk about. Oh, she was married it. to a guy who used to be in Nirvana. Okay. Oh, now <laughs> I do remember that part. Okay. Yeah, you know who that is? <laughs> I do know. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Not the first person to have trouble with her. That's all I'm going to say. But I spent uh, about two and a half, three years writing a book um, that I really wish people could read because it's like, it's a 90s rock book that 90s rock fans want so yeah. that didn't go so well okay. <laughs> um, you know I get I could I could see people being skeptical about you know maybe like not having a male right in their voice but I feel pretty comfortable I feel capable no yeah. one's uh, no one else has, has come to me I, I had a meeting with another celebrity but I didn't take that job because it was um She's like, yeah, even she's, yeah, she's crazy. <laughs> okay, got it. She, she was in Mean Girls. She has red hair. She's oh. notably insane. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I, 
had a meeting with that one. I was like, oh god, I can't, nah, I can't do that. I could hang, handle like Artie Lang, insane heroin addict, uh, <laughs> comedian, Tommy Lee, great. This one, nope. <laughs> I was terrified. So that didn't work. Um, I just don't think I've I've had the right meetings yet. I would love to write a woman's story. I would absolutely love to. That's awesome. Um, okay, cool. Yeah, I really would. I I have a proposal out there about a. Uh, I don't know if it's going to happen though. It's like she, it's someone who doesn't really have a social media platform, but a two time Olympian who um, wants to write about mental health because she grew up with a, a suicidal mother okay. and her sister committed suicide and all this kind of stuff. Her name's Juliana Furtado. Um, we have that out to market right now, but unfortunately she sort of retired in, in uh, the nineties and doesn't have a crazy, honestly, it's all social media platform these days, which is kind of sad too. But anyway, I have not written, I've not had a successful project happen with um, a female co-writer. I would absolutely love to. So call me. All right. We're going to put that out in the universe, Anthony. Please. No, I would love to. I really would. I really, really would. And uh, I wanted to talk to you too, because I was slightly stalking you, of course, as I was doing my prep for our chat. And uh, I I listened to... That's what a good good researcher does, though. Good. Yeah, Yeah, well, that's me. I was all over your... All over your social media, and then I found a, an interview that you'd done, I guess, not too long ago on another podcast, and uh, you mentioned that you have an upcoming project with uh, with Raekwon, so I'm wondering, is that happening? Is that something that's coming down the pike soon? I do, yeah. Um, well, it has not sold yet, um, We, but yes, I'm working with Raekwon. That is a case where I think he, he heard about me, and they came to me, so we have a collaboration agreement. We are doing that. That, that book proposal... Um, is finished and going to market, which I think, I guess there's still a market during this pandemic crisis. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so that will probably be slowed down, but yeah, no, that, that book proposal is, it's uh, going out to publishers like right now. And Raekwon is amazing. I can't wait to tell his side of the Wu-Tang story. It's going to be awesome. So that's, that's the next one. And um, I am, after that, I am going to be working with Jerry Harrison from The Talking Heads. Oh, cool. To tell okay. that. That's going to be cool, too. Are you booked up now for, like, the next two years as, uh, because of, like, these two projects? Those are the two projects we're working on now. Um, and that will definitely be, you know, it just, again, it, like, depends on how quickly those guys want to work. But uh, I'm going, you know, I've done the three books at the same time. That was a little crazy. I didn't plan it that way. I would say two in a year, and those will come out next year, and then we'll move on to, to another one. But um, I, that will; those two will carry me through to this time next year. Okay. If all goes well, if industry begins again, I don't. You know, I don't yeah. even know. Well, people we need something need to read, Anthony. There. So you need to get on that. People do have time to read. That yeah. is good. Yeah. That is very good. <laughs> I have a, I have ten books. You guys can read them all. Uh, I'm, I'm now. Well, I want to. I didn't read the Tommy one, so I'm now that you've told me all about it. I can't wait to read that one. And I wanted also to to touch on your your podcast because obviously we here on the Kelly Alexander Show are big fans of podcasting. And so, can you tell us a little bit about uh, Winel? Yes, I will. Um, Winel is like my pet project, and it's really fun. Um, so I'm kind of a wine and food person. And uh, mostly, you know, wine is, I absolutely love wine. And so this podcast, the whole conceit of the podcast, which is W-I-N-Y-L, is that my guest chooses their favorite record or favorite artist. And my wine experts and I pick a wine that pairs with it perfectly. And we enjoy the wine and we talk about why that record 
change their life. And that's it. It's a really fun little lesson. So I'm in the middle of uh, getting season two done and we will post them all others like 10 from season one. We've had a little bit of a break because I got really deep in Eminem and we're going to have a new season up probably in like about two months. Okay. Months, maybe two months. Let's say two. It'll motivate me. Okay. <laughs> That's good. So it's fun. Yeah. Season one is great. Tommy was on there. Um, Nick Fleetwood, whose book, I, you know, it's like mostly people I worked with and other bands that I just really like. Uh, Nick Fleetwood is on there. There's a couple cool winemakers. Um, Josh from Fanagram. Uh, you know that band. His was really good. Uh, it's, I mean, it's fun. Have, if you like wine and you like some serious, like nerdy music talk and get at it. That's awesome. Well, congratulations on that because I know just how much, you know, it's so it's such an enjoyable when you put out a, a solid podcast and you get positive feedback. So I think the fact that you're doing something, combining music and wine, that sounds good to me. And uh, I did want to ask you too, before I let you go, um, on your bucket list, like, is there an artist right now that you still would love to work with and, and write about? Oh boy. Um, well, I really want to work with Prince and David Bowie. Yep. <laughs> so, yeah, and Tom Petty. But, uh... I mean, he doesn't need me, but I would do anything for Bruce Springsteen. Um, <laughs> That's good. Let's see who else. You know, I'm actually pretty, I, I kind of want to meet, I do want to meet Harry Styles because I really respect his evolution and he's got a really good voice. Um, and I feel like there's a good story there. That guy definitely piqued my interest. Um, gosh, this is a tough one. Bucket list is tough. I mean, I probably do Madonna's book. Come on. Oh, please do. But that would be amazing. Yeah, I would. Because, you know, she would like, it would be like a concept and it would be interesting. I would, I would love to do Madonna. Um, gosh, I don't even know. Who else is there? Who am I forgetting? Kelly, well, who am I forgetting? Well, I'm wondering too, like, because I, I, you know, in that interview that I heard you do, um, you talked a lot about being like a 90s kid. And so I'm just wondering if there's anybody from the 90s, like, obviously you're doing the Wu-Tang thing, but it, like, is there any sort of 90s pop star or like guilty pleasure that you'd be like, ah, oh, like I could do that? Um, let's see. A 90s pop star or guilty pleasure. I mean, there has to be. I wish George um, Michael was still around. I'd love for you to have done a book with him. You know what? I was actually pursuing that. Were you? I really okay. was. Okay. Yeah, George Michael. I uh, was totally pursuing that before he died, and there was a possibility there was an opening there. I was like a, I was also like an '80s um, original wave goth. So I've kind of been. I've been getting polite. Um, Polite nose from Robert Smith of The Cure for years. Oh, okay. But, like, through my old agent, they were like, he's not really willing, not ready or willing to do it, but honestly is impressed and will get in touch when he wants to. Um, that I would do, I suppose. I'm trying to think of other 90s people. Uh, I met with Puff Caddy, like, twice. Oh, did you? How'd this, that go? But I met with him twice. And he, like, forgot the, the first time that we met. <laughs> but, uh, okay. but I don't think he's ever going to do that. But, like, uh, that kind of comes around every couple of years. And we have another meeting. And, I mean, that guy's he's definitely got a story. Like, you yeah. know, he's, he's, it's pretty amazing. Um, I feel like I'm going to hang up with you and remember, like, five <laughs> people from the 90s. Uh, I've also met Billy Corgan a couple times. who's oh. kind of a pump. But okay. I would do the Smashing Pumpkins book in a second. Um, 
Would you ever do? Would you ever do like a like a book on one hit wonders and where they kind of ended up or not ended up? Because like I know there's a bunch of '90s people that obviously are, are that you know have that claim to fame. Or even like I you know we haven't talked about this, but like what's your thoughts on like '90s dance people? Let's say like a Crystal Waters or a Cece Peniston or a Martha Wash. Like does any of that pique your interest? Interesting. Um, I have well, I, I, something did just come to me, so I'm just going to say this name, and then we're going to go back to this question. But Oasis. Okay. Although I'm not sure if I could actually understand anything they're saying so it might be more of a novel like i don't know if i'd actually know what they're talking about so but i would like to try okay because that's that's a pretty damn good story um the one hit wonder thing it's funny because when i was first at rolling stone rolling stone used to have a thing called the charts page on the back and as an as a young assistant i was in charge of putting this together and i sort of came up with the idea to have a little interview. And so I interviewed almost like every 90s one hit wonder, like from, you know, Chumbawamba to like, you know, I mean, Three Doors Down is going to have a career by the time they seem like one hit wonder. Um, you know, Collective Soul, like all of those people, Third Eye Blind. <laughs> um, so I have kind of a collection of all these interviews of, of you know, Smash Mouth of worlds and stuff like that. Yeah. So... It could, I, I see what you're getting at here to like, are you, it's kind of like a where are they now book? Yeah, almost, like, and just like, like, and yeah, I think that would be cool because, like, I, I love, like, for example, um, I was a huge Crystal Waters fan, like, back in the day, and the fact Crystal that Crystal Waters is, yeah, she's great. Yeah, she's great, and she, and it's continuing, like, she has like 13 number one dance hits or something ridiculous, and like, I love that she's still going, and that song, Gypsy Woman, still pays her mortgage, you know what I mean? And so, and the same thing for like wow. CeCe Peniston, like, they still have careers, and they're still out on the dance scene. Martha Wash, like, all these people, um, um, are still doing stuff, even though maybe some people think they're not around anymore, but they're, you know, they're definitely big and hot in the LGBTQ community. I'll tell you that. That is really interesting. You've given me some food for thought, Kelly. That's what I'm here for, Anthony. God bless her. That's great. Good for her. That's awesome. Yeah, I didn't no, even know that. Yeah, yeah. No, they're still doing their thing. And I just love how, and you know, and Crystal's been, you know, she's a businesswoman. She has her own, uh, you know, uh, record label and the whole thing. And she just said, she's like, you know, because pe obviously people ask her about Gypsy Woman and 100% Pure Love. And she's like, I will never diss those songs. They have sustained me and kept me around. But she still managed to have like more hits. Like she had another dance hit last year. And I just love that they've continued to work the, the EDM scene. And, and to evolve and, and keep going. And they're like in their late 40s, early 50s at this point. So I think it's awesome that, that they're still so doing cool. their thing. Yeah, it's That's awesome. That's really awesome. Final question for you. Looking okay. back on your childhood, like did you ever imagine this life for Anthony Boza? <laughs> no, <laughs> absolutely not. No, it makes so much sense though. Because I was like a, a, I was a history nerd and liked writing term papers. Uh, and I've just been like obsessed with music since I was a kid. Okay. Um, and my, you know, my parents had a pretty good record collection. My dad really likes music. So, uh, so it made sense because for some reason I was like the weirdo who read the liner notes, like every album I'd pull out and be like, huh, I wonder where this studio is. Like I, I wanted to know what all these people did yeah. that like, were part of making the record. So it makes complete sense. But no, I did not. I didn't think I'd be doing this at all. I planned, I wanted to be a history professor okay. or something like that. Um, but yeah, no, this was a, this was a wonderful surprise. Well, we're all very happy you did not turn out to be a history professor. So thank you for not doing that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you so much. You're too kind. Anthony, thank you so much for being on the show. It's been super awesome to have you, and I hope you'll come back. All right, I sure will. That is uh, author and writer Anthony Boza. Again, a New York Times bestselling author. You can learn more about him on his website, aboza.com.
The Kelly Alexander Show. Thank you so much for spending time with us on the program this week. And a big thank you as well to our guests, Jill Zaday and Anthony Boza. My thanks as well to our producer, Andrew Sabino, for taking care of producing the show. And don't forget that you can listen to us on many different podcast platforms, Apple, Spotify, Google Play, and Stitcher Radio. We'd also love for you to grab all of our social media handles, and you can do that by hitting up our website, kellyalexandershow.com. Have an amazing week. You and I will chat soon. The Kelly Alexander Show.